Throughout our lives, each of us experience situations that create strong emotions, whether it's happiness, sadness, or anger. These strong emotions can sometimes be so intense that the overwhelming experience is ingrained in our memories. These memories have a huge impact on the way we dream. For example, the situations you experience throughout the week are stored in your short-term memory, shaping the context of the dreams you have in the following nights. Your subconscious might take something you regret saying and transform it into a nightmare where your teeth are falling out. If you watched a scary movie, your unconscious mind might put you in that movie with the monsters. Just as short-term memory can shape the way you dream, more mysteriously, so can long-term memory. Sigmund Freud said that even things we experienced decades ago can lay dormant in our minds and be brought forwards by our subconscious. So something that you experienced years ago can be brought to the forefront by your subconscious, dredging up old emotions you thought you had forgotten about. Emotions like fear or even revenge. I'm Charlie Conlon. And this is the nightmare I had last night. When I awoke inside my nightmare, I was standing on a wooden dock, staring into the vastness of the Atlantic Ocean. A winter storm was creeping in off the coast. Massive swells of ice-cold water crashed against the shore and each side of the dock I stood on. Water splashed against my face, burning my exposed skin with each frozen drop. I retreated from the icy dock away from the menacing ocean to the rock wall at the back of the harbor. There I found a set of crumbling stone steps leading up the cliffs to a large hillside village. A wooden sign in front read, Elm Hill. The village was large, reaching up into the rolling hills on the coast, each building and house old and medieval in design, most likely built in the Middle Ages. The village was dense, each of the timber-framed structures were built so closely together the overhangs extended like a roof over the cobblestone streets, while each house seemingly overlapped each other. Freezing wind blew hard against my body, cutting right into my warm core. The storm was getting worse and it started to snow hard. I'd better enter the village and find some shelter. I walked along the cobblestone streets of Elm Hill Village. It was challenging to navigate between the compact structures and tangled roads, each house with snowdrift fronts and frosted windows. The village was empty, not a soul to be seen. The storm blew hard like wind tunnels down the streets, my body now frozen and my stamina low. Where is everybody? I knocked on doors and even tried to forcefully open some to get out of the cold. Let me in, please. But I was weak. Anyone. And just as I thought I couldn't take any more of the frozen elements, I turned down a narrow back road and found an inn with its warm lights on. Above the door, a hanging sign said, The King's Rose Inn. Luckily, the door was open. Inside was an old pub, 
with mahogany tables, wood-paneled walls, and a low-ceiling bar equipped with golden taps. The warmth of the inn was my saving grace. The feeling was beginning to come back into the tips of my fingers. I meandered around the pub, looking at the artistry and the medieval paintings hung all around. I stopped at the fireplace to warm my body, and was captivated by an old sword hanging above the mantel. The blade was sharp and silver, the guard curved on each side of the handle, while the grip was dressed in red leather, all fixed with a red jewel on the pommel. It was very well crafted. Oh, hello there. Startled, I turned around to see a stout, bald man standing next to the bar. Hi, I apologize for the intrusion, but I was stuck in the cold. I... I thought I was going to freeze to death. I saw the lights were on, so I came in. That's quite alright. My name's Oswald Cook. Oswald shook my hand firmly as he introduced himself. This here's my inn. It's usually a lot more lively, but we're closing down for the winter. Where is everyone? The entire village is empty. Mostly empty, except for a few fishermen. Oswald walked behind the bar and poured two glasses of whiskey and slid one across the bar over to me. We cheersed and drank our drinks. The drink was stiff and exactly what I needed to truly warm my body. The town shuts down almost entirely during the winter. Not too many people like staying on a lonely island during the cold months. Elm Hill is mostly a tourist destination during the summer. Oswald and I sat at the bar sipping our whiskey and talking, when a beautiful woman came down a flight of carpeted stairs located at the side of the pub. Oswald, this necklace is beautiful. Oh, who do we have here? The woman walked over to the bar. She was holding a stunning diamond necklace in her hands. This is our guest, and this is my wonderful Allura. Pleasure to meet you. He'll be staying in one of the rooms tonight. Oh no, that's okay, I'm sure- Nonsense. There isn't anywhere else to go. It's no trouble as long as you don't mind staying in a room that isn't dressed. That'll be fine. Thanks, I really appreciate it. Oh, don't you worry. We'll take good care of you. Oswald's a great man. Look at this beautiful necklace he treated me to. I'm so spoiled. Allura said while draping the jewelry around her neck. We drank more and exchanged stories, but after an exhausting day, Oswald showed me to my room with nothing but a bed that Allura fixed for me and a wooden chair next to a small table by the window. It was perfect, and sleep took me quickly. That night, I was awoken by the wind rattling the small lattice window of my room. Something was occurring outside, so I hopped out of bed and opened the window only to discover something truly shocking. Throughout the village streets, strange things had grown. Sea mussels, coral, and barnacles grew on the streets below and all along the walls of the house next to the window of my room. The winter storm was still raging on, and the cold wind blowing into my chamber reeked of rotting fish. However, just as I began to shut the window, I noticed something in the distance. High up in the village, a bright blue light was eerily moving through the streets of Elm Hill, shining against the archaic structures of the island. Suddenly, a horrific scream cut through the storm like a sharp knife. I watched on as the mysterious blue light drifted out of sight between the condensed houses of the hamlet. The terrifying scream and the frigid wind gave me goose flesh. I shut the window, laid back in bed, and eventually fell asleep.
When morning came, I opened the small window of my room, only to find a beautifully crisp winter morning. No longer did the disgusting sea growth cover the streets and buildings of the village. Had I dreamt the whole thing? Was it some sort of exhausted delusion? No. I definitely saw what I saw and smelt the disgusting sea growths in the streets. And I had definitely heard someone scream in the night. I explained to Oswald and Allura my mysterious findings last night, even though I knew how crazy it all sounded. I'm not sure if they believed me, however, they were more concerned about the scream more than anything. Oswald mentioned that a man named Landon Hale lives further up the hill in the village, and it might be worth checking out, even if it was just to give me some peace of mind. So that morning, all three of us set out in the cold streets of Elm Hill to investigate. Yeah, Landon stays on the island year-round, like us. Bit of a hermit, but nice guy all the same. Oswald said, as Allura and I followed his lead up the winding hill on the uneven cobblestone streets. He's the only other person in town, so if you heard a scream last night, best to check on him to be safe. As we hiked through the village, I inspected the roads and walls of the houses, looking for any signs of the aquatic growths I was sure I saw last night. Allura screamed out in terror as we discovered a horrific scene. Oh my god! It's okay. Just just don't look at it. Lying in the middle of the snow-covered narrow road was the mangled flesh mass of Landon Hale. So horribly disfigured, it took us a moment to even recognize that it was human. Jesus Christ. Oswald, what is this? I... I don't know. We circled around the body looking for clues or signs of what could have done this. We noticed only one set of footprints in the snow. It seems Landon was walking alone when he was spontaneously met with his gruesome end. Look at this. I pointed to a trail of blood alongside Landon's footprints in the snow. Do you think he was bleeding beforehand? I don't know. God, this is horrible. Come on, grab an end. We need to take him back to the inn. We can put him in my walk-in freezer for now. Oswald and I each grabbed a side of the putrid pile of flesh. It was hard to tell which part of the blood-soaked body I was grabbing, but eventually, I found a sturdy enough grip holding the exposed bone of the forearm. We trudged through the village little by little, slopping blood and innards to the ground along the way. Finally, we reached the inn. After storing the body in the pub's walk-in freezer, I washed my bloodied hands under hot water in the sink. Oswald poured me and himself a glass of whiskey, exactly what my body needed after the chilling events we'd just experienced. I've called the mainland authorities. The Newfoundland police say they will be here tomorrow to do an investigation. Allura was clearly distraught by the images still fresh in her mind, nervously holding her precious diamond necklace. She decided to retreat back to her room and rest for the night. I stared dumbly into my already empty glass. Oswald poured me another drink. There's a local legend. They say each year, around this time, a blue phantom haunts Elm Hill. The cold isn't the only reason this village is empty in the winter. The blue phantom? I think I saw that last night, outside my window. The legend goes, Every year, when the wind is cold and the moon is bright, the blue phantom stalks the frozen streets at night. For if you're out and cross her path, 
You'll soon feel the Blue Phantom's wrath. Oswald and I drank late into the night, talking about the history of Elm Hill and old Sea Dog legends. I retreated back to my room late and drunk, crashing on my single bed hard. It would be a sleepless night as another winter storm rattled my window. Opening my window, I was met again with the horrible smell of rotting fish heavy in the midnight air. And like the night before, the village was engulfed by a horrible sea growth of barnacles, hard coral, and seaweed hanging from all the windows and roofs of the houses. In the distance, I could see the same faint blue glow as I saw before, silently drifting through the streets in the winter storm. Afraid, I slammed the window shut and jumped back into my bunk, hiding like a kid afraid of the hungry monsters under his bed. The wind rattled my window all night. When morning came, I went downstairs where Oswald and Allura were drinking coffee. Oswald went on to explain that the mainland police had already come and gone, taking the body with them. They were already here? Did they ask any questions? Did they say what caused this? They're pretty certain Landon was attacked by a bear, or even an Atlantic walrus. Are there bears on this island? Once in a while, one or two will swim over. I just find it hard to believe an animal would do that kind of damage to a human. You'd be surprised. I was unsatisfied with Oswald's answers. How did I not hear people downstairs? Why hadn't the police wanted to talk to me? I needed to clear my head and decided to explore the village. Maybe I could find evidence of the strange things I witnessed during the storm. The sky was blue and the air was crisp. A stark contrast to the sinister night before. I explored the dense village, down streets, through narrow alleys and between the towering structures that barely let the sun touch the ground. Nowhere did I find any evidence of what I witnessed last night. I began to question myself again. Was it a dream or a hallucination? Then I discovered something on the ground. Blood. A trail of blood. Like the one I found next to Landon's body. I followed the red drops of blood in the snow until eventually I was in a rundown part of the village, standing in front of a dilapidated house on the outskirts of town. I entered the house through the missing front door. Many holes in the walls and ceiling had allowed snow to blow in, freezing most of the interior of the house. I wandered around the deteriorating structure through ice-cold rooms and up a flight of stairs onto the second floor, when suddenly I heard something. Frightened, I ducked into a dank closet to hide myself. I listened intensely to the rhythmic cries for help, until I mustered up enough courage to investigate further. Down the hall, I could see the familiar blue light from the previous nights. I tiptoed through the upstairs and peeked around the corner of what must have been the master bedroom, and witnessed something unbelievable. A blue mist projecting the silhouette of a woman standing in the center of the room. The specter stood facing the wall, then threw her hands up in defense as a sword struck down across her front torso. Then all at once, she vanished. I stared at the spot on the floor where she stood, when suddenly, she reappeared. And the horrible images played out again, and again. 
After some time mesmerized by the images, I could see that it was dusk and the horrible spirit no longer showed herself. I carefully exited the snowy, uninhabited house. It was dark. I'd better head back to the inn, or I may be stuck in the streets during the night. And after what I have witnessed, I definitely don't want that. I need to tell Oswald and Allura that I have seen the blue phantom, and that the legends are true. But as I started to walk down the road, the wind began to whirl, carrying with it the smell of rotting fish. All around me, the disgusting sea urchins and wet coral started to form on the walls of the archaic structures and all throughout the streets. And before I knew it, I was crushing clam and mussel shells under my boots with every step. More horrifyingly than anything, behind me, a glowing blue mist drifted out from the derelict house, forming the shape of a woman in a tattered dress floating above the ground. I didn't hesitate and ran into the depths of the accursed village. I ran down alleyways, between houses, down unrecognizable stone streets, stumbling over coral, fishbones, and crustaceans growing on the cobblestone. But it didn't seem to matter where I was going. At every turn, the haunting blue phantom was around every corner seeking me out. The snowstorm had gotten stronger. I needed to find the King's Rose Inn before I'm caught by this menacing specter and suffer the same fate as Landon Hale. In a back alley, I came to a dead end against a brick wall. At the far end, the blue phantom drifted slowly towards me. Panicked, I looked around for a place to go, but I was trapped. The ghost was closer now, and I could see that she was cut open from her neck to her gut with blood dripping into the snow where she went. Her eyes met mine. Her face was permanently frozen with fear and terror. I grabbed a garbage can from the side of the alley and hopped onto it pulling myself over the wall's ledge and jumped over, hitting the ground hard and slipping in the snow. The King's Rose was just a few yards away. I wobbled to my feet and threw myself down the road and through the doors of the inn and then slamming them shut. Lying on the floor to the inn, I watched the blue light drift past the front windows and disappear down the street. The inn was empty. I looked around for Oswald and Allura to recount my near-death experience, but I couldn't find them. I sat by the fire and warmed my body. When my adrenaline finally subsided, I became drowsy and retreated upstairs to my room, but I heard voices. I crept down the hallway and could hear Oswald and Allura talking in hushed tones in their room. I pressed my ear firm against their door and listened. She won't stop until there's another one. It'll happen. She already got Landon. We got lucky with that. Once there's two, she'll lay dormant again for another year. We just need to get him out into the streets at night. I pulled away from the door and went back to my room. I laid awake thinking of what Oswald and Allura meant. What were they talking about? There must be two. Two what? My window started to rattle once more. The blue phantom storm had returned to the putrid village. I couldn't sleep that night. I needed answers. So I snuck out of my room to explore the forbidden parts of the inn. Behind the bar and down a hallway, I found Oswald's office, but something else also. At the back of the office was a small room filled with boxes of old files and documents. 
I searched through the papers, hoping to find something that would explain this place. What I found was very interesting. In a small cardboard box were photos of Oswald. He was much younger in these photos, and he was with someone, a woman who looked very familiar. I studied photo after photo. Who was this woman? As I shuffled through the pictures, the woman was in them less and less, until she no longer appeared in any of the photos. She was replaced by Allura. The Blue Phantom! The woman in the pictures is the Blue Phantom, but in the flesh and alive. The curse is real, and Oswald has something to do with it. In the office on the desk was Allura's beloved diamond necklace, each diamond revealing every color of the rainbow. Just then, I heard someone marching down the hall toward the office, so I quickly pocketed the necklace just as Oswald entered the room. Hello there. Oswald stood in the doorway, staring at me with a coyote grin on his face. What are you doing here? Huh? Come on. Why don't I pour you a drink? Oswald stepped away from the door, clearing a path for me with his arm pointed down the hall towards the bar. Cautiously, I stepped past him entering the pub. That's when I noticed something that was in front of me the whole time. The sword hanging above the fire was the same sword that struck down the blue phantom in the dilapidated house on the outskirts of town. The same sword that killed her. Oswald poured me a drink at the bar looking me in the eyes while I stood in the middle of the inn's pub. I know what you've done. I know that the curse is real, and I know that you are the one who caused it. Oswald gulped down his drink and looked at me. Her name is Marzana Warwick. Oswald moved around the bar and started walking towards me. Tragically, she was murdered. Yeah, by you. And now each year she searches for two. Two people. And just as the words left my lips, I was struck in the back of the head with a blunt object, rendering me stunned. Allura had snuck up behind me. Through my blurred vision, I caught a glimpse of Oswald just before his body checked me hard through the main entrance of the King's Rose, into the rotten sea-transformed village of Elm Hill. I hit the ground hard, into the snow and fish muck. Oswald and Allura looked down at me. Mersana was in the way, in the way of her love. After Oswald took care of that bitch, I had the honor of throwing her in the ocean. Allura, stop! But she just couldn't leave us to be. Now each year she searches until she finds two people, and I won't let that be me. Allura! Well guess what? Now you get the honor of meeting her. The putrid wind blew fierce down the street, hitting hard against my skin. At the end of the road to my left was the familiar light of the blue phantom. With horror stained across her face and blood dripping from her ethereal wounds, the haunted ghost floated closer and closer to me. Allura, standing in the door, hadn't noticed, and that's when I pulled out the diamond necklace from my pocket. You bastard! That's mine! Allura stepped into the frigid storm directly in front of the vengeful spirit, and the blue phantom grabbed her. In an instant, Allura's skin effectively turned inside out. Her legs snapped back, popping both her knees out of their sockets as she fell to the ground. Her spine arched back in half, causing her ribs to burst through her flayed chest, spraying mists of blood all around the walls and cobblestone. 
Oswald stood inside the king's rose, struck dumb with shock, while he watched his mistress suffer at the hands of Marzana Warwick. When the gruesome event was over, the spirit faded. Oswald stared at the mangled corpse of Allura, piled in the bloody snow, then slowly looked at me. I'll kill you. I ran through the narrow roads of Elmhill, with Oswald close behind. I'll kill you! Through a labyrinth of alleyways, and between row after row of condensed structures, I tried desperately to lose him. I didn't truly know where I was going, only that I was headed toward the harbor. Gotcha! Oswald tackled me hard against the stone wall, still covered with seaweed and ocean growth. His eyes wide with hate as he choked my esophagus. I clawed at his hands and managed to loosen his grip and rammed my head against his, breaking his nose. Ah, bastard! With him stunned, I pushed him back and continued to run. The winter storm raged on. I had arrived at the cold harbor. Without the protection of the dense village, the storm reached a new level of malice. Hey! Get back here! I clumsily staggered down the crumbling stone steps to the docks, with Oswald still close behind me, drunk with rage. The frozen, cruel ocean crashed against the shore, forming ice over everything the water touched. Only one small boat was docked in the harbor, and I intended on using it for my escape. Sliding onto the dock, I began to untie the rope holding the vessel, and I noticed, floating in the water just off the shore, was a body. The body of Landon Hale. The police never came. Oswald and Allura disposed of it here. <laughs> you think you can get away from me? Oswald grabbed me and threw me to the far side of the dock. I held strong onto the untied rope. You're not getting away on my boat! You killed her, and you caused Landon's death. And I'll kill you too! Oswald raised his fist and struck it down upon my face over and over. I lost my grip of the rope, and the boat began to drift away. Oswald attempted to grab it, but he missed. I was able to shove him off me. His body fell back, cracking the thick ice that formed on the dock. I got up and ran to the end of the dock, almost slipping. I jumped over the water and barely made it into the boat. With my momentum, the boat launched far off the shore into the harbor. I pulled the string of the small motor, but it was no use. It wouldn't start. The ocean slammed against my boat. I pumped the clutch a few times, then pulled the rope again. Success! I gripped the steering and slowly puttered away into the vastness of the sea, riding colossal waves up and down. I looked back at the dark Elm Hill village on the gloomy island. Oswald was still standing on the edge of the icy dock. In the hills, I could see the faint blue light drifting down towards him. The blue phantom of Marzana Warwick wasn't finished claiming victims that year, and it looks like she'll soon have her revenge. And that's when I woke up. It's true that we all experience strong emotions at one time or another, and those strong emotions attach to your memory, shaping the way we love something or hate it. For example, if you toboggan down a hill and hurt yourself, you may remember that for years to come, and forever be reluctant to sled again. Another, less Canadian example could be that someone you loved and trusted broke that trust in a malicious way. You may never forget, 
or forgive. Not only do these strong emotions stay with you, they can stay around you and stain your environment, too. To break down my nightmare, I'll start from the beginning. At the start of my nightmare, I was standing on a frozen dock, overlooking the menacing ocean waves crash against the harbor's shore. Seeing an island or standing on an island in the middle of the ocean is a powerful symbol of feeling isolated. It can also suggest a need to withdraw from the world by introversion. This makes sense given the fact that the world is enduring a global pandemic and everyone is quarantined to their house. It's almost as if each of us stand on their own island, isolated away. As I continued through the dream, I came across a large, dense village. This was the main dreamscape throughout the nightmare. A dream set in a village may invoke a longing for simple and traditional values in waking life. However, the denseness of this village could indicate that these traditional values are restricting, confining you deep within the maze of routine and institution. Confinement dreams can also be a way your unconscious mind is telling you that your patterns and actions in your waking life are slowing down your own personal development. After wandering through the dark, dense maze of the menacing village created by my subconscious, I came across an inn. Hotels and inns in a dream suggest that you are going through a short-term situation. Think about what's going on in your waking life. Have you recently moved? Or have you recently ended a relationship and you are now transitioning to a new life? The inn and pub of this dream was comfortable, so whatever short-term situation I'm going through, I'm comfortable with. People who appear in your dreams, whether you recognize them or not, can be representations of yourself hidden within you, positive qualities and negative. Oswald could represent power and greed within me. Allura and the diamond necklace presented in the dream can represent qualities that we value most, in ourselves and in others. However, given the circumstances, I feel that this piece of jewelry represents lust more than positive qualities. Remember, when analyzing a dream, it comes down to the context of the story and how you personally feel about it. Who are you in the story, and what does it mean to you, specifically? The small lattice window of my room is where I first saw the blue phantom, floating through the dense village of my subconscious. The ghostly apparition hidden deep within my mind transformed the dreamscape into a rotten land of sea growth and rotten fish. Fish, coral, and aquatic life represents the deepest levels of the unconscious mind. Dreams that feature creatures of the sea are indicators of deep-rooted instincts, fears, and anxieties that have not fully been uncovered in waking life. The rotting fish and ocean can indicate that the current phase of your life is painful tough. Like I've stated in the past, a house is a representation of yourself, and the one I discovered on the outskirts of the village was rotting and dilapidated, which could be a strong warning sign for my waking life. In this house, I found a phantom playing out like a film projection being murdered by a sword over and over again. Seeing someone murdered can mean that you are being affected by forces in your waking life that are out of your control. So far, I've talked a lot about emotions and memory, and this apparition appearing in a loop could have something to do with that. 
In the book, Canada, Ghost to Ghost, Sheila Hervey mentions that emotions that people express can be so strong they actually attach to the surrounding area, like on the wall or floor. Then, in the right conditions, an image will play back, projecting a spirit-like form of the person who expressed those emotions. When people are murdered, I can only imagine that they are experiencing the strongest of emotions. Hervey goes on to explain that a woman in Canada was haunted by a phantom that would appear every night, walk down the hall and up the stairs to the attic. It is believed that this woman was experiencing turmoil and unknowingly covered the interior of her house with her emotional memories. Then it played back to someone who later owned the house. This could also explain why ghosts walk through walls. In the book Poltergeist by Colin Wilson, he talks about a house where a woman was seen walking through a wall into the next room. When the owner of the estate looked at the original plans to the house, they found that there used to be a door there. So what seems like a ghost walking through a wall could actually just be the memory of that person and the strong emotion that person was feeling. That emotion is then projected later and seen walking through the door that used to be there. There are many documented cases like these where apparitions are seen going up and through a ceiling only to find out that there used to be stairs there. Colin Wilson goes on to explain that wet or damp areas are more susceptible for human emotions to stick to. This brings a question to my mind then. If I were to truly express a strong outburst of emotion, and that emotion stuck to the surrounding area, is it possible that you could be haunted by yourself or by someone who is still alive? If you see a phantom or a ghost in a dream, it could represent some unfinished business in your waking life. It can also be your own darkness personified, the side of you you'd rather not face up to. Additionally, seeing a phantom in your dream can represent hidden feelings you're unaware you had, hidden feelings of regret, fear, and revenge. Later in the nightmare, the phantom horribly mutilated Allura in front of me. To see a corpse like Allura or the one violently mutilated in the cobblestone streets of the dense, archaic village could mean that there are parts of yourself you wish to leave behind. Alternatively, it could be a warning that you are taking too much from life and not putting enough back into it. Progressing through the nightmare, I was being chased by Oswald through the compressed cobblestone streets of the closely set structures of the village. If you are being chased, whether it's by a horrific phantom or by a madman trying to kill you, it is a sign that you are trying to avoid someone or something in your waking life. Oswald then went on to choke the life out of me. Being choked or strangled by someone in a dream could represent conflict and indecision as if you were choking on the words to provide answers to people. In the end, I escaped into the rough ocean on a small rowboat. Similar to a hotel or an inn, dreaming of water, whether it's rough seas or a clear lake, suggests that you are passing into a new phase of your life. Because water is ever flowing, if you are weathering a storm in a dream, it's only temporary. So the storm you are facing in your waking life is also only temporary. Being on a rowboat could be a symbol that you are working hard as you journey into this new direction you are taking in your life. 
Strong memories stay with us in our waking life and in our dreams. Whether it's something you're afraid of or a happy memory that you love to think back on. It's good to remind yourself that it's in the past and to learn from it, good or bad. If you let those memories consume you, you may find that you are trying to relive the past or you are unable to escape it. And those memories may stay in your subconscious mind, haunting you while you're awake and when you lay your head down to sleep. Thanks for listening to this episode of Knowing My Nightmares. This episode was written by me, Charlie Conlon, with voice acting by Daniel Jaworski and Divya Jadeja. My sources for the information in this episode are from the books The Occult by Colin Wilson, Canada Coast to Coast by Sheila Hervey, as well as The Dream Dictionary from A to Z by Therese Shang. I hope you enjoyed this creepy story. I want to hear your scary stories. Go to kmnpodcast.com and send me your horrifying nightmares. Rate and follow the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow me at kmnpodcast on Twitter and Instagram for all things nightmarish. And remember, if things get too scary, you can always wake up.